We are in Acts chapter 14 today. Acts chapter 14. You can go ahead and move that. I'll, I'll get that when I need it. I'm going to read our passage so we can have it in our minds, and we'll talk together. Acts 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. They should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. When my wife and I had our first child, her name was Lena. She was the firstborn child on both sides of the family. Now, if you, if you, if you come from a larger family, you know what that means. That means I didn't have to buy clothes for my kid for the first four years. Because both sides just spoiled the crap out of my kid. Every Christmas, it's, it's, it's a, it was a joke for years. Uh, Uncle Tony always wanted to buy the loudest present of anybody. He always buy something that was loud, electronic, and I always buy my kid drums, so I'm like, don't do it. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the uncles and the aunts would all want to bless my children. It was, it was great, it was great. But when they were really young, when, the, when Lena was a little wee baby, I'd go out looking for a gift for my daughter. I want to buy her the perfect gift for Christmas, right? So it's like, let's say it was her first, first Christmas. I want to get her the perfect gift. I go out, and she, I find a cartoon she liked. I get her this, like, toy from the cartoon. I wrap it awesome, and it's Christmas time. Oh, she's going to love it. Cost like $35.99. She's going to love it. She better love it. <laughs> so you, 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 at Christmas Day, little, little baby doesn't have much knowledge. So you help the baby unwrap the gift. Oh. Look at, oh, it's a little, it's a cartoon you like, oh, you know, or opening it. You open the box, give the kid the toy. And then it all happened this to us at some point in our lives where the kid, so young, doesn't understand what's happening, for some reason, doesn't engage with the toy at all, but instead engages with the box. Oh, it's on my head, oh, like I can, I can lay like a cat, oh. If I fits, I sits, right? That's the whole thing. I mean, so, like, and as a parent, you're like, I spent this money, I wrapped this toy, and you like the cardboard. 
Like the electronics, the, the, the cool factor, the choosing, doesn't matter. All you're doing is playing with the box. And for a parent, it's heartbreaking. Well, in this story, the very same thing happens. Because Paul is bringing a gift to this, this new city, a gift of the gospel. He's bringing a gift of new life, of hope, of salvation. And he brings this box to this new city that's never heard about Christ. And when they open this gift, you know what they see? They don't see the glory of Christ. They see the cardboard box, and they're like, that box is sweet. They see the messengers and not the message. They see the messengers and not the message. And today we talk about how we do the very same thing. We talk about the messengers and the message. So let's walk through this passage. Let me break down what happened. Walk through the passage. We'll go back in time, then come forward to our time. So Paul and Barnabas are on this missionary journey. They're traveling city after city after city, preaching Christ wherever they go. They're the first missionaries. They're going to different languages, different cities, and they come to this city in Greece, well, in the Greek area. At Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, crippled from birth, had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, saw that he had the faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. They're in this new place. Paul is teaching and preaching, and this guy, he's there, and he's like, I believe this. I believe in the Christ you preach. And Paul sees this man's faith on his face and goes, you know what? He's going to decide to do a miracle. And here's the deal. Back in the day, miracles didn't happen in every single city. They happened in places where God wanted to show that he was the real deal. So not every city got a miracle, but they're going to have a real true blue miracle in this place. This guy... A lot of the miracles you hear about nowadays, it was like some guy had a toothache and it went away. Oh, praise the Lord. Like, like, the miracles are kind of uh, small potatoes. This person had never walked. This person, if, okay, um, if you've ever had, like, I walked through my ACL and I had to go through all, like, I had to do a uh, surgery on my leg and stuff. And in that, like, month where I didn't use this leg, you know what happened to the muscle? Atrophy. Its leg became useless to me. And physical therapy had given me all that muscle back, and it was brutal. This person had never used their leg muscles, so guess what? There was no development of muscles. So this miracle is like a miracle of God when God literally comes down from heaven and literally breaks all his own rules and does it that's impossible to have happen. This person, even if the... Even if the spinal cord that was damaged was healed, there still would need to be eight months of physical therapy to get those legs to work, but God just restores it all in a moment. And this guy gets up and walks, and the crowds, if we all saw a miracle, it would freak us all out. If you saw a real, true blue miracle, you'd be like, holy cow! And the crowds are like, whoa! A miracle! We know this guy. He's never walked, and the guy's walking. So what do they do? When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. See, these people have their own pantheon of gods. You've heard of Zeus, right? 
Zeus and Hermes. Is that Greek? I know Greek and Romans always have the weird close things, but to these Greek gods, they assume these people are their legends come to life. That Zeus, dude, that guy's, look, he did something powerful. That must be Zeus, that must be Hermes. And they began worshiping them right there in the town square. I'm talking, they're probably getting on their hands and knees, and they're doing the stinking, we're not worthy, you know, Wayne's World style. They are bowing their heads to the earth like you are a god. It gets so crazy. It says, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So the high priest of Zeus comes from the temple bringing animals. They intend to have an altar right there and kill these animals in honor to Paul and Barnabas, who they are calling Zeus and Hermes. They want to kill animals, so they want to call them gods. They want to worship these two men as though they were from heaven itself. This is wild. And what's crazy is I've experienced this moment. I have been, when I lived in India, living in India was like going back in time. I lived in a village. It reminded me of like living in the Old Testament. And we'd go into places, my wife and I, begin preaching Jesus Christ, the message, the good news. And let's say we did something kind. Let's say we helped open a school. Let's say in one village we were in, there was a baby that was sick, needed some medicine. They couldn't afford the medicine. I asked, how much is the medicine that this baby was dying? How much is the medicine? It was like four American dollars. I'm like, Here's the medicine. I bought it. When I did these things, people thought, whoa, this man came and did this. I one time was in this village we'd done something very kind for. And this woman, I remember seeing her, this crowd of people were saying hello to people. This woman's coming to the crowd and she's crawling on her hands and knees. I asked my Indian interpreter, I'm like, hey, what's happening? He goes, oh, she wants to give you honor. She's coming on her hands and knees to show her reverence. I'm like, what is going on? And she gets all the way through the crowd on her hands and knees, comes to me, and I'm wearing sandals, because in India you wear sandals. And she crawls through the dirt and the dust, and she gets closer to me, she gets lower and lower on the ground. She finally gets to me, and she's fully prostrate before my feet and begins kissing my feet. Like the story in the Bible, that lady, remember she cries upon Christ's feet and what? Like, it's, I'm like, it was a, and the people began, uh, we're at a church once where the church said, we trust that this man's going to save our church and lead. It, when the crowd starts trying to take you and exalt you, you are in danger immediately. Because they want to lift you up. They want to call you great. The crowds love to worship somebody. But what happens if you say no to that worship? The crowds can turn just like that. What does Paul do when he realizes they want to offer sacrifice to him? He rushes. Okay, so first says, the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard of it. They tore their garments. This is, a, this is a thing we don't have in our culture. We have a lot of different customs. We don't, you don't see people tear their own clothing unless it's like WWF wrestling, you know what I'm saying? Um, so outside of the Hulk, I don't mean the green one, I mean Hulkamania. Um, Outside of that, we don't have that movement, that motion. 
What that means, to tear your clothes, is to show, like, holy sadness. It's to show, like, horror, like someone has dishonored God. I tear my clothes in fear of this moment. We don't really have them. We don't have that. I guess the closest thing may be when you're Catholic crossing themselves. You see a car accident, you freak out, you're like, oh my gosh. You, know, you do that, kind of like a holy fear. They rip their clothes, then it says, they rush out to the crowd. They say, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news. You should turn from these vain things. Dude, Paul isn't just saying don't worship me. He's saying don't worship Zeus either. He's like, I've come to you. I'm a man just like you. I've come sharing the gospel, the good news, to turn from Zeus's priest, those vain things, and turn to the living God. That's what he says. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. In the past, God let nations just wander foolishly. Yet he never left himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This verse right here, I can't go deep into it. This verse is unbelievable, what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that all the kindness and the goodness that any, I don't care if they're an atheist, a Buddhist, a Hindu, all the goodness anyone's ever, like, the joy of a meal, love, childbirth, weddings, all that is God's kindness to the world. Showing his goodness to everyone. They call this common grace. It's not just Christians who experience God's goodness. God is so kind, he has put forth joy on the whole planet for everyone to taste. And they taste the kindness of the world. They taste, I'll say it this way, the whole world could be oatmeal. The, the only food in the world could be oatmeal. Could you imagine that? Just bowl of snot for every meal. <laughs> but the God of heaven was so kind, he gave us strawberries and cows. <laughs> he did. I mean, there's a lot of them. They're huge. They have those defenses. They were meant to be eaten. Like, like I'm just saying, there's a lot of those animals, and they can't defend themselves. What were they for? Oh, for food. Um, God gave us all. Dude. There are like, I went to the, the um, orchard because it's fall and fall is for orchards. They have like 13 kinds of apples in there. Like that, That's a kindness. God is like, I give you 14 apples. Choose what your favorite one is. This is God's kindness to the world. And Paul says, all the kindness you've ever felt, the satisfaction of the meal, that's God your whole life slowly preparing you for this moment to hear about his son, Jesus Christ. And it says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Paul's out there preaching, yelling, guys, turn from these vain things. There's a true God. Even with all his preaching and all his power, he barely stopped the crowds from worshiping him. So, we don't live in Greece 
There's no temple of Zeus at the city gates. How does this verse of the Bible talk to us this day? I have some notes right here for myself. Just like these Gentiles here in Greece, we have a tendency to worship the messengers instead of the message. Just like these crowds, we worship the messengers of the message. We worship the messengers instead of listening to the thing they say. Is there something that is, we love exalting spiritual leaders into celebrity status? And this is not a good thing, not for the messenger or for us, the followers of Christ. When we do that, we are playing with the box. God's given us the incredible message of his son, Jesus Christ, and we're like, there's Jesus, but this dude's got some sweet shoes, man. This guy's funny. I'm going to listen to him. And we choose the messenger and just completely ignore what they're talking about. I mentioned earlier how the crowds love to exalt people. In my lifetime, I've done the very same thing. I have traveled many miles by car to go hear my favorite preachers preach. I've driven to Grand Rapids, to Seattle, to Texas, to Charlotte, to hear some preacher preach. For some reason, if someone is a little talented, a little gifted, we give our loyalty to them. Now we do this about, we do this for everything, whether it's music, movies, an actor. We love taking someone, exalting them, and just loving them. When we do it to a spiritual leader, you put yourself in great danger very quickly. Why is it so bad to take the messenger and exalt them? Because here's the fact: the messenger is just like us. The messenger is just a person. They're just a man, they're just a woman. Paul says, he says here, he says, why are you doing these things? We also are men just like you, of the same nature as you. You know what happens when you put your faith in a person? They fail you. And you think, God failed me because that bum failed me. That person cheated on their wife. There must be no God. That person stole the money. There must be no God. That person treated me wrong. There must be no... So, so some pastor, some preacher, some spiritual leader messes up their life, blows their life up, and we it hurts our faith. Why? Because we put them in the wrong spot. They became for us our faith instead of the person behind them, the person they're pointing to. Jesus. We've, I've done it too. When I first became a Christian, I took my youth pastor, my first youth pastor, and I put him high in my heart. What did I know? I was 14 years old. 
I want to be my, I want to be my father. I want to be my savior. I want to be everything. And within the first year and a half of going to this church, he moved away. He left the church with somewhere else, and it broke my heart. I thought my life was over. How could you leave me? I remember I have in my life, I'm going to tell you this, a true thing. I'm 41 years old. I'm not old, but I'm not young either. I'm like, I'm five years away from midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Camaro. No, uh, but <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm middle age, right? I have many friends that are spiritual path leaders. I have friends who are pastors my age, and we're friends, we talk about life, we laugh together, talk honestly, hold one another accountable. But here's the sad thing. I don't have any old pastors I call for counsel. Not a one. You know why? Because every pastor that was older than me that I looked to has failed out of the ministry. Every single one. Every old man I wanted to learn from and sit underneath their tutelage, every one of them blew their lives to smithereens. I watch pastors fall and I watch the sheep scatter. I watch people's faith get shaken because of the man they loved fell down. I'm not saying it's not hurtful and not painful. It is. When someone you love, who's spiritual leader, hurts you, that is painful. My spiritual father disowned me, essentially. That hurts. It left a wound, but it did not shake my faith. Do you know why? Because they were not my God. He may have been an idiot, but the Christ he told me about was still true. When you, I have seen so many Christians take some random preacher and exalt them and follow them. I've watched them be led to dangerous and bad places. You must be careful who you let influence your heart. There's a test, it says this in Hebrews. Hebrews 13. It says this. 13? 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus once said, beware the false prophets. When you, we're a young church. Flint City Church is a young church. Six years old. Many of you will move from Flint before the story's over. Many of you will find other jobs. Things will happen where you just move from the area. That happens, and it's okay. When you go to a new city, a new land, a new place, you need to find a, a new church, you ask a question, I want to find someone who's a godly prophet, a godly pastor. I don't want to find some false prophet who's going to eat me. What the Bible says, they're, like a, they are sh they're sheeps in wolves' clothing, what the Bible says about these people. 
They're like the little, little Red Riding Hood. Remember that story, Little Red Riding Hood? The wolves were in the grandma's nightgown. What big ears you have. The better to hear you with, right? What big eyes you have. The better to see you with. And what big teeth you have. The better to eat you with. False prophets want to eat people. So how do you know if someone's a false prophet? false prophet or not, it says, look at the way they live their life. If you go to a church and the pastor is completely unavailable to all people, no one ever sees him, he lives on a, you know, on a hill far away, behind a gated fence, and no one ever sees the guy, and he's just a super celebrity guy, you can't imitate their life. You can't see the real deal because their life is hidden away from you. A true shepherd lives among the people. This is what it is. Does their life look like Jesus? Because more important than their skill is their character and their family. I might as well go. 1 Timothy 3. Here is the job description for a pastor in, a, in, in God's church. Here is the job description. Okay, This is not my job description. This is the Lord's description of what a pastor should be. 1 Timothy 3. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Three things this text says about what a pastor should be. A pastor should have godly character. The most words are used about their heart. The skill, as Americans, we love the skill first. Are they funny? Can they talk? I'll follow you. That's what we do. There's one verse about his skill, able to teach. Not even good. A C, able to teach. If you can, if you can talk about God's word, you make it. That's, that's all the one phrase. The rest is what kind of person they are, not a, not quarrelsome, not greedy, not a, the King James says, not a brawler. Almost cut me out. <laughs> I'm just saying, it tells you what kind of person you got to be to be a leader in God's church. Roy, you crazy dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, almost, I almost hit a guy this week. Um, not for, not, I, was, I, I went to U of M to preach, and the, uh, the, Bible, the Bible study leader He's like, you're a Gen X guy, right? I'm, not, I'm a millennial. I was born in 80 on the line. He's like, oh, you're one of those geriatric millennials. <laughs> I almost hit him. <laughs> Call me geriatric, man. I'm 41 years old. But character matters. You go to a church, look at their life. What kind of person are they? How are they, how are they in the community? Are, are they well thought of? Are they well thought outside the church? Do their neighbors like them? What kind of person are they? That tells you if God is in them or not. Then it says also their family matters. What kind of husband are they? What kind of, what kind of parent are they? That if their house is blown up 
It says if they can't manage their own household, they can't manage God's household. If the preachers have an affairs with all the people in the church, don't go to that guy's church. The guy's a monster. If a, if a spiritual leader uses their spiritual authority to seduce women, they're a monster. And should not be followed. I see preachers get up after they mess up, crying, oh, I messed up. Come to my church next week. Stop being a pastor and go deal with your problems. Get off the stage, get, behind, get away from the podium, go deal with your life, and shut up for a while. That's not at you, that's at them, sorry. I see pastors blow their life up and go move down the street to a new church. I can't be a brawler, I can't go beat the guy up, Roy. I can't do it. Don't go to that person's church. They don't love their kids. Don't go to their church. Their family shows if they truly are with God or not. Their life and their family tells you who they really are. That's how you know if they're worth trusting. But even if you trust them, you shouldn't worship them. I tell you guys all the time, I don't own you and you don't belong to me, don't I? I say it all the time. Because pastors try to eat people all the time. I want everyone to know, as a shepherd, I'm not a king. I am a servant. I try to follow Christ, but I'm still going to fail you. I'm going to miss your text or miss the voicemail or, or forget to call somebody. I'm going to fail you because I'm not perfect. I'm going to be insensitive. I'm going to forget I need your grace. It's true. Even though you're allowed, like, we're allowed to love our pastor. We are, our pastors. We're allowed to care for our pastors. But don't worship them because they're just people. Whether you're here at Flint City or you're in another church somewhere else, don't ever, ever take that pastor. Don't let them become... If they try to put themselves on an altar, don't let them do it. And you have to fight your own heart to stop yourself from putting them there. It's natural in all of us. John Calvin once said our heart is an idol-producing factory. We want to worship things other than Jesus. We all do. When Moses, went up on, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments and came back down, and the people, they heard God speak the Ten Commandments. They heard him say it. You know, thou shalt not murder. Like, oh my gosh, they heard the voice of God. When Moses came down, the people said to Moses, Moses, from now on, tell him to be quiet. We don't want to hear the thunder. We don't want to see the lightning. You have to you talk to God. You tell us what he says. We don't want to hear his voice ourselves. And a lot of us go to our pastors and say, Pastor, talk to God. Tell me what he said. And I'll pay you to do it. Go to the mountaintop, see Jesus, and bring me back something like a, bring me a t-shirt. And that's all I want from you. My pastor knows Jesus, and I'm with him. That's not what, we all need to know the Christ ourselves. Dude, listen, last year, I almost died on you guys. The church is more than one man. Well, it's more than this man. But it's not much more, it's about one man. It's not me, it's Jesus. 
We worship the wrong thing sometimes. We can't worship the messenger. We must worship the message. Because the messengers are just like us. They're just like, wherever you go in the world, wherever preacher you go to, they're just a person. They have skeletons in their closet. They have faults. They, are, they have the same problems that you have, straight up. They're not superheroes. Which means I'm not a superhero either. I'm just telling you. I told my kids that two years ago. It broke their hearts, man. The message is ultimately about Jesus. The message is about Jesus. He is who we should worship. The message is about Jesus. He is who we should worship. Paul said, I'm telling you the good news. Turn away from those vain things. Turn to Christ. I try with all the power I have, with my voice and my, my personality, to point you in the right direction. I want you to look past me to see the person who made me what I am. I do, as a human being, I experience so much joy in my life. That joy and satisfaction and peace and hope that I have does not come because I'm a well-adjusted individual. It comes because I am in Christ and he is in me. And I want you to have that same thing. That thing that we have, you can have it too. You don't got to sit on the sidelines and go, man, must be nice. You can have it. You can come to the Christ and bask in his glory. And just like Moses, when you do, your face will glow. Now, for five, six years now, I have led Flint City's church as a solo pastor. Over the course of five years, I have put deacons into places of, of authority. And deacons have helped the church go forward because our deacons take care of things, so I've got to take care of them. We have a deacon over money, Miss Allie, and she does a great job. We have a deacon over, our, over our, all of our babies. That's Mrs. Sarah. She does a great job with our babies, doesn't she? I don't got to worry. She makes sure there's always someone in the baby. She, if, there's someone, if someone calls in sick, she finds someone else to cover. Oh, I thank God for her all the time. We have a deacon over our music, Mr. Ricky, who... I mean, he does a great job. I don't got to, like, schedule musicians. I don't got to pick the songs. Ricky will you you'll text me, got a new song for Sunday. Yeah! And it was an awesome new song. Dude, that was a great song today. Who sings that? Phil Wickham. Phil Wickham. I'll put it on our, our Facebook so you can listen to that song later because it's really good. We have a deacon over our hospitality ministry, Greg and Chrissy, who did communion this morning. They're always here getting the coffee made. They're just doing all kinds of things. They run our on-ramp for us. They do great things helping our new people feel loved and welcomed. And my brother John does tech in the back. Takes her all of the, uh, every week and care of all our tech stuff because tech ministry is a, it's, technology is tough to deal with. But for five years I've been praying because I'm like, I need help. We need more pastors. Paul never walked alone. It's Paul and Barnabas. There's always a team. And I've always prayed about having a team of leaders in this church to help take care of the needs of our people. So after five years of prayer, we finally come to that day of ordaining another pastor. So what does this mean? It means, well, first of all, it's Mr. John Coombs. Mr. John Coombs is being put up as pastor of our church. 
So John, you got to come up here. Come up. Come up. Come up. There's phases. First, there's elder training, where someone walks with me and learns about ministry, what's weddings and funerals, hospital visitation, all that stuff. After seeing if they have the heart of a pastor, then they come before the elders. They sit before a board of pastors and they question, was that, was that horrifying? <laughs> like they ask you Bible questions. They ask you your life, your family, your kids. They, imagine being questioned by people. Like, do you live your wife? Yes. Like, it's, it's tough questions. And the elders questioned him and Sarah together, and they unanimously said, we see God's hand on this man called to ministry. Now, I want to read this. This is what I, this is what I wrote. I'm making you endure all of this. I'm sorry. This is, this, is, this is the letter I wrote to our elders, to our, our overseers of the church. Ironess Alanese believe that John Coombs is already doing the work of an elder pastor. Without guidance, he calls people, takes them out to eat, brings food to the herding. There is a true shepherd's heart in this man. Also a fire for the work. He is faithful to the calling, never misses a Sunday. Loving the flock is not optional, but a burden. He's a faithful worker. He loves the word of God. He reads it faithfully and is currently enrolled in Bible college to increase his knowledge. He loves his wife and three children and loves them as a godly man should. I present this man to you for examination that he may be approved as an elder for Flint City Church. And they did. They approved him. But here's the last stage. The Bible says, I read to you 1 Timothy 3. Character, family, competence. For the next month, basically anyone in the church that knows Mr. John, if you've seen him, if you, if you've seen him out in the city, you've eaten dinner with him, if you see that his character is ungodly in any way, if he goes against any of those verses in 1 Timothy 3, we just read together, if he goes against any of those, you need to tell me and say, Pastor, I saw Brother John at the VU. You know, you got to tell me what you said. That's not true. I'm just saying, if that was true, you got to tell me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm just saying. I was with you. <laughs> uh, we always say that the pastor's kids are a mess because the deacon's kids, right? That's what we always say. But, uh, um, but if, if you saw Pastor, you know, Brother John, if you saw him living in open sin, you saw him drunk at Applebee's. You've got to tell me. And say, you're not being a rat. You're not being bold. You're protecting the church from a false prophet. If there is, if you've seen this man, something that, you, that, that, that worries you, you can say, I have a worry. And we'll talk about it as an elder board. So next month, we're leaving it open for you guys to say, do you see anything? Or if you want to say, we agree. Email me and say, I, I think it's right. After a month, if there's no... What do you call those things, babe? If there's no problems that are brought forward, we will ordain him on a Sunday morning here at Flint City Church. Yay! So that's what's going to happen next. John, we love you. Excited for what happens next. You can go sit down, Jim. Sorry, you have to sit up here. Go ahead and give a hand clap. Imagine telling the whole world, if you've seen my laundry, tell me. Like that. That's tough to do, to say, air my dirty laundry to the world. That's tough to do. But if you want to be a pastor from God's church, you have to air your laundry to the whole world. That's what it is. We must be above reproach. And if John is approved, he will be a lay pastor, meaning he's not going to be a full-time staff here. He'll work a job, but he will be a servant helping to carry some of the burden of the hurts we have in the church. Like right now, I get calls all the time 
um, on our, you know, just people having needs in the city. Having John to help me with all those needs, oh, it would be so awesome. Having someone to help with weddings and funerals and just all, it would be a blessing to our people. So that's where we are. And for us, having a plurality of leaders is helpful so one person is not exalted too high. Remember, there are no kings in this house. There are no gods in this house. There's only one God we worship that's Jesus Christ, not Nestor or anybody else. We have to guard our heart from worshiping messengers. Now, if you happen to have, before we leave, one last thing, if you happen to have a preacher you listen to all the time, you love him, and you want to know, is this preacher okay for me to listen to all the time? You can ask me. I'll tell you my honest opinion if I think they're dangerous or not. Like I'm just saying to you, be careful to worship the messenger. We all, it's so easy for any of us to do. And when we worship the messenger, we're worshiping the wrong person. Let's worship Jesus. He is worthy of our praise, and no other person is. Amen? Amen. With that said, let us pray. Father in heaven, following you is hard. Following a person's way easier. Following some pastor on the street, following some celebrity pastor on YouTube, it's way easier to let them tell me instead of come to you and talk to you about it. But Lord, when we do this, we lose out. We miss out on the joy and the peace and the comfort that's found only at your feet. Help us as a people to renew in our hearts a desire to know you, to move past worshiping people made of clay, and to look to your Son, eternal in the heavens, full of glory and truth. And Lord, for this next month, as we pray about John becoming a pastor here at Flint City, we trust you with the process. Lead us where you have us go. So Father, we love you very much. The day is yours. In Christ's name, we ask all these things. Amen.